signal. Do you have it turned on on your end? Off. Not, not my fault. <laughs> it was Sully's fault. <laughs> Whenever I hear that passage read, I find it very disturbing. Because here a woman, a mother, has come to Jesus because her daughter is ill. And those are the last words I would expect Jesus to say. I mean... He comes across as uncaring, kind of unloving, kind of callous. I mean, the scripture tries to set the tone of why this is taking place. It says that Jesus is exhausted. He's very tired. I mean, he, so he leaves Jewish territory and heads up to Gentile territory. And he goes to a, a, a Jewish house and he doesn't want anybody to know he is there because he's ready for a break. He's ready for some rest. He, he, he just needs some time to be by himself and quiet and reflection. But his reputation has already spread to the Gentile territory. And Mark says this Greek Syrophoenician woman has heard he is there. Now, because she's Syrophoenician, we know the territory close where he's at. It's a, it's a very prosperous territory. And part of the time, uh, the, the Jews control that part of the territory, and part of the times the Gentiles can, can control it. So it kind of goes back and forth, and so there's a lot of tension there between the Jews and the Greeks. But this woman has heard that Jesus is there, and she comes to him. We don't know much about her. Uh, we know that, uh, that she uh, has a sick daughter, demon-possessed. We don't know how many other people she's gone for healing. We don't know whether she's married or not or how, how, how helpful her spouse is. But we do know she's desperate. Her daughter is ill. And when a, a mother is desperate, when any parent is desperate, don't get in the way of trying to hinder them. And so she goes to Jesus. She doesn't care if she's embarrassing herself. She doesn't care what protocol is. She doesn't care anything. She wants her daughter healed. And, and she goes to Jesus. Now, when Matthew recounts, recounts this story, uh, Matthew says she was shouting at Jesus, shrieking at him. But then Jesus says, we have to feed the children first. It's not good to throw, toss the bread to the dogs. Now you have to realize in first century Judaism, dogs were not pets. They were unclean animals, undesirable animals, filthy animals, scavengers. In fact, a modern day comparison of how they thought about dogs is how we think about sewer rats. And so he says to this woman, uh, we don't toss the children's food to the sewer rats. And that just seems pretty hard to deal with when Jesus says that. And it's interesting how different people have tried to soften this. Some people say, well, you know, uh, he didn't really mean it. I mean, I mean, he was tired. You know how you are when you're really tired? And, and, and she's screaming at him, and he's just 
tired. So he didn't really mean it. He just said what, what all the culture is saying. It, it, it was, he didn't mean it. Well, that doesn't hold much water for me. Uh, William Barclay, a 20th century uh, Scottish theologian, his take on it is he said, you know, if you're talking to a friend and you say to them, uh, you know, you're a villain or you're a scoundrel, with a smile on your face, it changes everything. It changes the tone. Well, I think Barclay's really stretching even far because you look at the text, there's no hint there's a smile on Jesus' face. Scripture doesn't tell us that. Some commentators say this, you know, the actual Greek word we translate it to dogs the literal translation is little dogs. So it doesn't soften up for me if you call my daughter a little sewer rat versus a big sewer rat. And so this is a, a problematic text for me and I've struggled with years, but I was listening to a sermon by Dr. Leonor Tisdale. She was preaching at Duke Chapel in Durham, North Carolina. And she had an interesting take on it. She said, that woman was a gadfly. And here's the difference. I didn't know what a gadfly was. I had to look it up. A gadfly that bite, is a fly that bites livestock, especially a horsefly, a warble fly, or a botfly. I know what a horsefly is. I've been bitten by a horsefly, and it hurts. I don't know what a warble fly or a bot fly is, but that's one definition. Another definition, a gadfly is an annoying person, especially one who provokes others into action by criticism. This woman fits that category. She's irritating. She's annoying. She's screaming at him. She's not taking no for an answer. She doesn't care. And when Jesus said, we don't toss the bread to the dogs, she said, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. She's not going to take a no for an answer. And what happens? Jesus said, good answer. Good answer. He says, go home. Your, your daughter is healed. And she goes home and finds it just like that. Dr. Tisdale said, that woman was a gadfly to Jesus. She said, the one that Jesus prays to, Abba Father, sent this woman to help him see something different. Yes, Jesus had been sent just for the lost sheep of Israel. That's what he came, and that was the first part of his ministry. But he had another part of his ministry, and that was to reach out to the Gentiles. And so far, he's been primarily focusing on the lost sheep of Israel. But now he's in Gentile, Gentile territory. And this gadfly of a woman comes to him and makes her case. That daughter didn't get crumbs. The daughter got the whole loaf. And then you see what happens in Jesus' ministry. If you read the gospel, the very next day, Jesus still in Gentile territory. A man who was deaf comes to him. And Jesus heals him without any if, ands, or buts. And then he stays in Gentile territory, and he preaches, and he teaches. And he does that for days on end. And one story a little bit later is he's been teaching these people for three days. They're by the Sea of Galilee, all Gentiles. 
And after three days, he said, they're hungry. How much bread do we have here? And they said, the disciples come and say, we have seven loaves of bread and a couple of fish. He said, give me the bread. He blessed it and broke it and had the disciples distribute it to the crowd. And after everybody had their fill, he picks up seven loaves of bread left over. They didn't get crumbs. They got the whole loaf as well. And so that's so reminiscent of a couple chapters earlier. Jesus was in Gent a Jewish territory. And there was a crowd of 5,000. And they were hungry. He said, how much bread do we have? They said, five loaves and two fish. He took it and blessed it and broke it. And they gathered up 12 basketfuls of bread left over. Now, the interesting thing, numbers are important. There's symbolism everywhere. In that story of the Jews, the 12 basketfuls left over, scholars say, represent the 12 tribes of Israel. In Gentile territory, the seven basketfuls left over represent the seven tri the cities in Canaanite that Jesus', Jesus ancestors were supposed to destroy. But rather now destroying them, they are feeding them. And so I, I see this woman, that makes more sense to me. She is one that Jesus is ready to take his next step of ministry. And this woman comes to kind of sensitize to him, to make awareness to it. And he changes and begins to do that and reach out to the Gentiles as well. He came not just a savior to the Jews, but a savior to all creation. And I think throughout history, God has sent gadflies to make us uncomfortable. I'll tell you one that I, that I liked. This is a little history, but this back in 1954, the United States Supreme Court made a ruling against the uh, Brown versus the, uh, the Topeka, Kansas Board of uh, Education that segregation was unconstitutional. Now, in 1954, I was nine years old, going to Eastside Elementary School in Nampa, and we didn't have a black person in all the schools, so it didn't affect us at all. But if you lived in the South, it'd be a little different there. It was three years later in 1957, in Little Rock, Arkansas, nine black youth enrolled in an all-white school. On the first day of class, 400 protesters were out there. The National Guard had been called up and their orders were to prevent any black student from entering the school. Later, their orders were changed to escort them in. So here's a very famous picture, a, a portrait of that day. The young black woman, she's 15 years old. Her name is Elizabeth Eckford. Uh, she was supposed to meet up with the other nine to come in, but she missed the message, and so she had to come in by herself. Her mother was working, could not come with her. So she walks in. Uh, she was wearing sunglasses, she says, so they wouldn't see the tears in her eyes. And they're screaming and shouting at her. And the woman in the back with her mouth wide open is Hazel Bryan. She's also 15 years old. And they're shouting, go back to Africa, go back to the jungle, two, four, six, eight, we don't want to integrate. Those are the kind remarks they were saying. Much more harsher words were spoken 
demeaning, denigrating her. And as she tries to get in the school, the National Guard refused to let her in. So she walks out to the street. The crowd follows her, screaming at her, shouting at her. She waits for the bus that takes her to her mother's school where she's working in the cafeteria, and she collapses in her mother's arms, sobbing. I don't know how you were when you were 15 years old. I can't believe the strength of Elizabeth and what she did. Now, Hazel Bryan, once shouting out there, the, this famous picture, uh, she was 15 at the time. A couple years later, she got married. And, but at the time, she also said she was a good Christian. She belonged to the Church of Christ. And I would venture to say most of the women around there and the men are all Christian. This is the South. And so they're Christian. But how do you compartmentalize your faith? Here's my Christian beliefs. And well, here's the world and the two never twain. I mean, how does this represent loving your neighbors yourself? How, I mean, you just wonder, don't they realize what they're doing? But sometimes you get so swept up in the ways of the world. But the inner thing about Hazel, after she had her couple kids, this picture became a gadfly for her. She didn't want her kids to know this is what she was like. She didn't want her kids to, to grow up in a school like that. Uh, so she, she began to read some stuff about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, she began to feel regret. She, called, she con contacted Elizabeth and apologized for her cruelty and what she said. And she began to work for more integration. There was a, her past became the gadfly for her as her faith began to re realize this is not who a Christian is called to be. But I wonder how many other gadflies God has sent into our world here. So we can take the picture down now, and as it is, think of people or circumstances that irritate you. Are they a gadfly from God? I, I, I wouldn't say that everyone is a gadfly <laughs> from God, or maybe they might be. Now, you think about it, how can you tell the difference? One of the things that I find is that when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, he said, God has sent prophets and sages and teachers, and you have stoned them, you have crucified them, you have driven them out, you've called them traitors, turncoats, the enemy. And what often were the prophets' most messages? Most prophets came with a message that what you worship in church, in the synagogue, what you worship in the temple, but you forget the widow and the orphan. And in biblical days, the widow and the orphan were the most vulnerable people in their society. Also, they criticized you don't have justice and mercy for the least in society. So I wonder, who are those that irritate us today? I mean, the first thing that came to mind was Black Lives Matter. And a couple years ago, there was a U.S. senator running for, for, for uh, office on the campaign stop. They had a stage there. And before he was able to speak, two women jumped up with signs that said, Black Lives Matter. And some in the crowd jeered and some cheered. 
Now, if you ask people in Black Lives Matter, all lives matter, but it seems like today in our society, Black Lives Matter a little less. So I think when you hear something that's irritating or a movement that's irritating, are they speak for those not in power? Are they speak for those who are vulnerable? Are they speaking for those who, who are the least in society? Because Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. I mean, could the God's gadfly be climate change? Greta Thunberg, God has given us this earth to take care of and cherish, not to destroy it, not to raise it, but to cherish it and nurture it. I mean, could it be the LBGTQ community? Or, you know, there's, I mean, when things start to irritate you, maybe it's time to pause and look at it. I mean, I remember what was bothering me for a while is when I'd drive by and I'd see a person on the street corner holding a sign asking for help. Uh, I remember when I was younger, I believed that everybody who was doing that and begging were just lazy. Just go out and get a job. There's a lot of jobs out there. I just go get a job. But in seminary, one of the things they did to help shatter some of those stereotypes I was raised with, they took us down to the inner city to begin to meet and get to know people who are homeless, people who are struggling, to know them as human beings, to know what their struggles are in life, because most there don't want to be homeless. Most don't want, they would like to get jobs, but look at what struggles they have found in life to see them as human beings. But it always bothered me to see these people on the street corner with their signs, and so sometimes I'd feel God kind of poke me and I'd open a wallet and give some cash, but then I realized, I can spend that money by giving it to Idaho Food Bank or the church and go a lot farther. So I increased my giving to there. But then as I was driving by, it still bothered me because I don't want to just ignore them like they're there. They're people, they're children of God. So for me, what I've started doing is carrying extra bottles of water in my car. So if it's safe for them and safe for me, I give them a bottle of water. They need water. It's, I'm recognizing they're human beings. I'm recognizing I feel better about it. I don't have that irritation because I'm seeking to, I say, yes, you are a child of God and you are precious. But I think that passage of scripture causes us to pause and reflect on the gadflies that God sends. Because the reality, we all have gadflies in our life. And we are never going to arrive on the journey of faith. We're always called to become more, become more loving, to become more caring, become more nurturing, to become more sensitive, to become more generous. We're always on the road of becoming. We will never arrive. We're always called to becoming more like Christ and bring that light to the world, to all people. So now when I read that passage of scripture to me, I see one of God's gadflies. And when I look in the world, I see other God's gadflies at work. So let us pray. Gracious, gracious and merciful God, thank you for the gadflies you have sent into our lives. We ask you, O oh God, to fill us with your knowledge and your desires. 
shape us and mold us to become the people you want us to become. And then use us every day for your work and your will in the world. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen.